when you look at the Gospel of Mark, and you look at all of the teachings and all the miracles and all the things that Jesus did in the Gospel of Mark, there's a common theme in much of them, and it has to do with the issue of the heart. Jesus was constantly dealing with the people about the condition of their heart. In Mark chapter 2, verse 8, the core, the center of the, sea, uh, the, uh, the healing of the paralytic was this, that Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in his hearts. He knew the hearts of those critics that were looking at him wondering what was he going to do, but he also knew the spiritual condition of the man who was a paralytic who needed forgiveness. He knew exactly what was going on on the inside of them. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus is incredibly distressed at the stubborn hearts of the religious leaders. He had compassion on this man and healed this man with a shriveled hand. I mean, can you imagine it? A man walks in and he has this shriveled hand. And you're sitting there and you're watching him. And all of a sudden, this shriveled hand becomes absolutely perfect. What would your initial response be? The religious leaders were, were hard-hearted because they saw Jesus do something he was not supposed to do on the, on the Sabbath. I mean, they couldn't find joy in the healing of another man because they were so trapped up in their rules and regulations, the externals in life. Jesus is constantly dealing with the heart. Another passage in Mark chapter, I think it's seven, six or seven, Jesus is, is walking on the water, and, and the disciples, they're, they're trying to row their boat, and they're going against the wind. And Jesus comes to them walking on the water. They see Jesus. They don't recognize him. They think he's a ghost. And Jesus climbs into the boat with them. All of a sudden, the, the sea is absolutely calm. And this is what they say in chapter 6, verse 52. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Really? They couldn't get who this unique person of Jesus was, and they couldn't make the connection to the miracle and what was going on in their lives. And it says their hearts were hardened. I mean, think about it. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people, more people, probably maybe even 15, 20,000 people. There was enough left over for all of the uh, disciples to take home a sack lunch. He does all of these wonderful miracles. He walked on water, he calmed the wind, and it says their hearts were hardened. Why is that? Why could they not make a connection between who Jesus is and what he's done and their own human hearts? In Mark chapter 7, verse 6, that we saw last week, that, that Jesus condemned a hard heart. He condemned people who did all of these wonderful religious external things, and they did all of them, but their hearts were so far from loving and adoring who God is and what he would have for our lives. Their, their hearts were absolutely hypocritical. Jesus actually called them hypocrites because their hearts were so far away from He quoted from the prophet Isaiah. You've rejected Moses. You've rejected Isaiah. Your hearts are so far from me. Because they had added to their faith, if you will, rules and regulations that God did not want for them to do. And what Jesus was doing, he was confronting the religious leaders and how they would live their lives. Why, why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus confront the religious leaders? Why would he do this? Because they added to their traditions and they made it above God's word. They elevated their traditions above God's word, and then ultimately what they did was they invalidated God's word. In other words, what they did in their own way, they created their own man-made religion based upon their rules, based upon their own regulation, to secure themselves, thinking that they were okay before God. And all they had simply done is 
done everything according to what they thought and felt was right. And their hearts were so far away from who God is. And what Jesus does is Jesus confronts the religious leaders about the spiritual tradition of their hearts. What's going on in your heart? I, I believe what's going on in your heart probably tells us a lot about what's going on in your relationship with God. What's going on in your heart? And Jesus is going to confront the religious leaders once again about the rules, regulations, traditions, and he's going to take them to a different level. If you haven't turned in your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to Mark chapter 7. And I want you to remember, this is a continuation of the story that we looked at last week, where Jesus confronts the religious leaders about the rules, regulations, and traditions of men. This is a continuation. And what, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to, he's going to actually he's going to take them to a different level. He's going to take them to a place that I don't think they want to go. He's going to reveal something much more deeper about the heart condition of a person in contrast to the religious trappings that we often fall prey to. So remember, as we read this, it's a continuation. Mark chapter 7, verse 14 says this. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand. Nothing outside a man, a person, can defile them by going into them. Remember, it is what, rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. And what he says in verse 21 and 22 must have absolutely shocked them. He's speaking to the religious leaders, he's speaking to the disciples, and he's speaking to the crowd. Imagine standing on a corner down by the stadium and, and, and shouting these verses. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Aren't you glad none of those relate to you? Oh, let's just pray and go home. Let's be warm, let's be filled, and let's go home. I'm so glad I'm not like that other person over there. Listen, Jesus has some radical teaching about the condition of the human heart, and it's ugly. And I don't know about you, but I can be pretty ugly at times. Something can flip my switch, something can flip my trigger, and I can react so ugly to people that I love, to my wife, to my children, to people that I love, because there's something down inside of us that's defiled. And that's what Jesus is going to deal with this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is the one that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And Father, we thank you for the healing that he brings, Lord, to our souls, to our hearts our minds. Father, we thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the spirit of God who lives inside of us. Father, thank you that you have, have come to make us new, to transform us on the inside. And, and Lord, I, I pray that that song that we sang would be true, that you would make our hearts like you this morning, that we would see the reality and the beauty of Jesus and what he's come to do for us, and to be reminded that our hearts can be made new. And, and Lord, that we live in a broken world where people need to know about Jesus and how he can change their hearts, Lord. 
So, Father, I pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts to the reality of your word. Amen. So, so once again, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus is facing opposition. We don't know exactly where he's at. He could be in Capernaum. He could be near Peter's house. He could be just outside there. But what we do know is the religious leaders, the religious elite, have come from Jerusalem. Uh, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they've come to Jerusalem, and they're, and they're watching Jesus. They're kind of watching, in there and they're watching what he does, and, and they're concerned about him because they're the religious elite. They're, the, they're the, the religious teacher. They're concerned about their traditions. They're concerned about all of these things. And, and they come to Jesus, and they confront his disciples because they see them do something. They don't wash their hands. They, they don't do all the things that the religious leaders do. And so the people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're upset at Jesus. And, and what's going on here? You don't follow their traditions. You don't do all of these things that we do. Something is wrong with you. And Jesus is going to continue to confront them about their traditions. But he's also going to take them on an entirely different level. It's not just about the external, about what is going on in your heart. And look at verse 14, it says this, listen and understand. Jesus pulled the crowd to himself. And, and I think what we need to uh, know and understand that his idea to listen and understand is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jesus is no ordinary priest. He's no ordinary rabbi. He is the prophet from God. And when he speaks, people are mesmerized. It says, well, who is this man who has this authority? There was something different and unique about Jesus in his words. The second reason that he wants them to know and understand and to listen is because of this. This is directed to everyone. Notice what it is. He called the crowd in. He didn't just pull the disciples aside. He didn't pull the religious leaders aside. This is for everyone. In other words, there's something universal about what Jesus is going to say that affects each one of us. And the last reason I think that this is important is because of this. Jesus doesn't want us to be dull. He wants us to understand. There are things in life, principles in Scripture, that are hard and when we don't understand them, I think we have a responsibility to go, whoa, 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 wait, time out. Let's go try and figure this out. It's like there's this giant spiritual puzzle. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're trying to put all and fit all the pieces together. And when Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to know and understand about what's going on here. And you need to take this teaching, if you will, to an entirely different level because it concerns something important. It concerns the very core of who you are. It concerns your heart. And what Jesus is going to say here is absolutely revolutionary. I mean, even when we hear the words today, it's revolutionary. A guy by the name of William Barclay, I, I probably have some commentaries about him, pastor, author. He said this about the instruction of Jesus here. He said, although it may not seem so now, this passage, when first spoken, was well nigh the most revolutionary passage in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? He said this was probably the most revolutionary passage passage in the New Testament. Why, why would he say that? Why would he say that? Because maybe there's something deep down inside each one of us that needs to be changed. And that Jesus has come to offer that change, if you will. Look at verse 15, and notice how Jesus describes what's going on. Verse 15 says this, nothing outside a person can defile that person by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. Now, when Jesus made this statement, he actually calls it a parable in verse 17. And at the center of this, at the core of what Jesus is trying to communicate to these people, is the idea of how do we relate to God? How do we relate to our, 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 our creator? And, and what 
what Jesus is reminding the people there is, listen, it's, it's not on the outside. It's not whether you wash your hands or not. It's not about what you do. It's not about all of these external things. There's something deep inside of us that needs to be absolutely changed and transformed. And so Jesus confronts them. He confronts the religious leaders. He confronts all of these people. Notice what he says. Nothing on the outside can make a man unclean. Unclean, impure, common, unholy. There's nothing on the outside that can make you unclean and make you unholy. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, you're like, well, wait a minute now. What about if you touch a dead body? Or what if you have a skin disease? Doesn't that, weren't you commanded in Leviticus? Weren't you commanded not to do that? So maybe there are some things that can defile you. But what Jesus is going to do, Jesus is going to up the ante. He's going to take them to an entirely different level. There's an entirely different level about defilement, entirely different level about being uncommon, about sin. He's going to take them to an entirely different level about what it once means to be separated from God. Do you have here ears to understand, and will you understand what Jesus is saying? And notice what he says again in verse 15. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that makes him unclean. What do you mean? What do you mean? It's what comes out of a person that makes us unclean. Let me ask you: Do you understand what he's talking about here? Do you understand what he's talking about here? I think the religious leaders absolutely understand what he was talking about. When you look at Matthew's account, you know what happens with them? They get offended. The disciples come up to Jesus and say, "By the way, did you know what you said? Do you know that offended the religious leaders? Why were they offended? Why do you get offended? Why were they offended?" Because I think they knew exactly what Jesus was doing. He was confronting them about the spiritual condition of their hearts. And, he, and they knew exactly what he was going after. He was pinpointing something. It, this was not about the external. This is about something that was going on in the inside. And what Jesus wants these people to know, and he wants the, the religious leaders and us to know, is don't be deceived. Understand what's going on in the human heart. By the way, you, you know these religious leaders? Do you know who they are? They're going to plot to kill Jesus. They're coming after Jesus to accuse him. They don't want to know anything about him. Talk about the hardness of a human heart. Here are these religious leaders. No wonder Jesus calls them blind guides. No wonder he says stay away from them. Because they are actually plotting to kill Jesus. And that's what's going on the inside of the hearts of these religious leaders here. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to confront them. Listen, if the issue on the table is being unclean or defiled with the religious leaders and the disciples, and that defilement does not come from something external, where does it come from? Where does it come from? If my relationship with God is not about dues and rules and relations uh, and, and regulations and doing all of these other things, if it's not about doing something, about living a certain way, where ultimately does defilement come? And I think that's what confused the relationship with their disciples. Because they go inside the house and they're like, hey, well, time out. Time out here, Jesus. What you said is absolutely mind-boggling. We need to have some clarification on We need to know what's going on. And that's what they did. They got inside the house, most likely Peter's house. And they get a, a private explanation, if you will. Look at verse 17. And Jesus says to them, are you so dull could you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Has anybody ever said that to you? You're just a, dim, you're just a dimwit. Well, you're right, I am. I'm sorry, you're probably absolutely right. But Jesus said, are you so dull? 
Because he wants them to, to understand what's going on inside of the human heart. He says this, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? Verse 19. For it doesn't go where? Into their hearts. But it goes into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods unclean. Jesus basically saying, listen, it's not about the externals in life. External food. If I, if I take some food and I eat it, it goes in my mouth, goes into my stomach, and, and, and it's eliminated. And by the way, in a very crass way, Jesus is saying it comes in and it goes out. That's what he's talking about. It comes in and it goes out. But what it does, it comes in and it goes out, but it doesn't affect a key component of your life, and that's what's going on inside of your heart. That's why this is so revolutionary. This is about the teaching of the heart. This is about the heart. This is not about rules and regulations. This is about what's going on inside of, of us. And then Jesus goes on, and he tells us what's going on inside of the human heart. Verse 20. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. That idea of evil thoughts come, that, that's kind of like the umbrella statement for everything. The umbrella statement is evil thoughts come, and then out of that come all of the rest of this stuff. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. What was Jesus doing? He's directing them to the human heart and the condition of the human heart and how the human heart needs to be radically changed in its approach to how we look and view our relationship with God. In the book of Proverbs, it says something very, very interesting, and I think you would probably believe this. It says this, as a man thinks, so he is. As a man thinks, so he is. What's going on in your heart? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. Let me ask you, what fills your heart? What fills your heart? You know, what's going on on the inside of your brain as you process life, if you process relationship, as you process good, bad, if you process all of it? What's going on inside of your, of your heart, if you will? What's interesting is this. I, I think we can take a, this, this list and, and lay it before us and realize that, that we are confronted with this list almost every day. We see this almost every day. Stop and watch the news tonight. Think about the area of sexual immorality. It really doesn't have any definition anymore. Adultery is kind of a, a stupid thing. I mean, it's like people don't even believe it anymore. You can do whatever you want. And we have so redefined what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, sexual relationship, that, that we really don't even talk about sexual immorality anymore, lewdness, any, anything. And we see this all before us, all, all going on. All around our eyes, evening news. All of these things we, we picture almost every night, if you will, in the evening news. Pe- people can walk into a store in California and just fill up a bag of stuff and walk out. And nobody will say anything. And we just kind of parade and let it go. I mean, that's kind of where we're at in the 21st century with all of these things going on. And in, in a context here... What Jesus is doing, Jesus is getting to look at the externals in life. It's not all about the externals in life. And I think in our broader context, don't we look to the external things in life for how we understand what's going on in our world? Don't we look to the external? Well, what we need to do is we need to change the environment. People grow up and maybe they don't have the right environment. And because they don't grow up in the right environment, they lack and they suffer. 
And they do all of these bad things, if you will. Maybe they don't have money. Maybe they don't have resources. Uh, a guy in 2007, uh, a social psychologist, wrote a book. And the name of the book was um, The Lucifer Effect, Understanding How Good People Turn to Evil. And in this book, he concludes this, that the per- pervasive, far-reaching problem for people in our society is this. It's environmental. It's outside of ourselves. This is a psychologist saying that the issues of our personal lives are outside of us. And so what we need to do, we just need to simply change the environment that we live in. And if you change the environment which we live in, that's going to change a person's life. That's going to change our culture. What about the area of education? Will it be schooling? Knowledge? What we need to do is we need to educate people in certain areas of your life. We need to re-educate people in life about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. We need to change science. We need to change biology. We need to change roles. And all of a sudden, we're living in the 21st century, and we have this terminology, and we have these words that are being used, and I don't even understand them, and I don't even know what they mean. And if I don't embrace that, and if I don't believe that, and if I don't hold to those things, guess what? I'm a, I'm a kook. I'm a nut. And so what we're being forced to do is to re-educate our hearts and minds and souls into how to live and how to act and how to respond to people who are very, very different. So what we need to do is we need to re-educate people. St. Charles, last week, they had a book in the library. I don't even want to say the name. I, I don't even want to say the name. It just frightened me, the name. And they want to get that in the library. Why? Because if they get that in the library, it's going to educate people about life and how to live, about to truly express yourself, maybe in the area of sexuality. So there's environmental factors. There's educational factors that are outside of us. I think there's one last thing. It's, it's, it's the example that with the breakdown of the, of the traditional family, what's happening is people don't have the role models. They don't have moms and dads. And all of this is broken down. And, and, and now we don't have the, the examples to lead us and to guide us in the way that we're supposed to be and the way that we're supposed to act. And there's no doubt we would all agree that on some level, all of those are true. There are environmental factors. There are educational factors. But let me ask you something. Is that the root cause? Is that really the root cause? Are each of those the root cause of what's going on in our society? Or is it the fact that maybe deep down inside of us, there's a disconnect with God that causes us to disconnect with other people and that what we need to do is we need to deal with the human heart. What's going on in the human heart? You know, I I like to try and look at culture and look at different things about issues of life. And so uh, I, I wanted to know about what, what's the universal thought teaching about the human heart? Is it, is it just Jesus has got this weird teaching here about the evilness, if you will, of the human heart? So I, I Googled it, and, and I, came a, 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 I came upon some teaching from the Egyptians in uh, about a thousand years before Jesus, And and what I want to do is I want to show you what the Egyptians believed a thousand years before about the human heart, the condition of the human heart. And this is what they believed. It says this. The Egyptians believe the heart is the center of life and morality. Egyptian mythology states that after death, your heart is taken to the hall of Mat, M-A-T-T, the goddess of justice. There your heart is weighed against the feather of Mat. If your heart is lighter than the feather... You join Osiris, 
in the afterlife. If you fail the test on the scales, then the demon Amut comes and eats your heart and your soul vanishes from existence. Now you're sitting there going, what in the world does that mean? It means this, this is when I read it. Thousands and thousands of years ago, they believed that the human heart was absolutely central to who we are as people. And what is going on in the human heart will depend upon how, where you spend eternity. If, if you have done things and you've done them well and you've lived your life well, your heart is going to be light as a feather and you're going to pass on in the afterlife. And what Jesus says in this text is that the human heart is absolutely important to how we live and how we view people, and especially with our relationship with God. So Jesus has kind of given us a, a broad idea of what the difficulties and the challenges of life are. So what might we learn about what Jesus has described in verses 21, 22, 23? Let, let me just pull out a couple of things. Number one is this. If we kind of summarize this, if we summarize these teachings of Jesus, number one, sin is what? It's internal. That's what he's talking about. Sin comes from the inside. What's going on in the human heart with regard to our relationship with God, with regard to our relationship with other people? And, and what, what Jesus is reminding us here that we're sinful people. Psalm chapter 51, verse 7. David has been confronted by uh, Nathan the prophet. And, and Nate, uh, G, uh, Nate, Jesus, David confesses his sin. And notice what he writes in Psalm chapter 51, verse 7. He says this, Surely I was sinful what? at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The Bible reminds us, unfortunately, that there's something deep down inside of us that strays from who we is and what we'd have for our life. And it's this thing called sin. And it begins at birth. We call this original sin. And what Jesus is pointing out to the disciples is there something in our hearts that needs to be dealt with, and it's the issue of sin. What else do we learn from this? Listen, the Bible says this. The heart is deceitful. The heart is wicked. You know, we can come and go to church and have relationship with people and enter into the wonder and the beauty of who God is and have all of these wonderful thoughts, and then a matter of minutes and a matter of seconds, our hearts and minds and actions can go to places that are absolutely destructive. Absolutely destructive. And I think what Jesus is reminding us of the destructiveness of the human heart. We murder, we can do sexual immorality, but we can only have folly and lewdness and all of these other things. There's a wide range of things that the human heart can fall prey to, if you will. And so what we need to do is we need to be mindful of what's going on in the human heart. And we need to be able to recognize that something needs to happen in the human heart. Last thing I think that we can learn from this is, again, with the broad range of the things that he's mentioned, is, is this this. None of us are beyond this. None of us are beyond this. You know, we can look at this list and say, well, you know, I, I've never done this. I, I, have never, I have never committed adultery. Remember what Jesus said about adultery? When you have lusted after another person in your life, you've committed adultery. What Jesus does is Jesus, in his teaching, he ups the ante of what it means to have a relationship with God. And that's why he deals with the heart issues. It's not about the externals and about how thinking all you have to do is live a certain way and you're going to be okay. What ultimately needs to happen is we need to go through a transformation of the human heart. What I find interesting is this. 
Jesus just unloads this teaching. And in verse 23, unloads the truth. It's not about the externals. It's about what's going on. And Mark leaves it there. He just leaves it there. Why do you think he does that? Well, he says, don't be dull. Don't be ignorant of heart. In other words, what we need to do is we need to figure out what's going on here. We need to be like the disciples. Hey, 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 time out, Jesus. What I want to do is I want to get some time with you, and I want to figure out what exactly are you talking about here. I think ultimately what Jesus is talking about here is we need to go through a transformation of the heart that we need to change. Something intrinsically inside of us needs to be changed. In March of 2022, um, Christianity Today had an article about a woman by the name of Doreen Virtue. And uh, the name of the article is, Please Don't Read My Books Anymore. And basically, the article was about this. Um, As recently as five years ago, author and speaker Doreen Virtue was one of the top-selling New Age authors. She enjoyed a phenomenally lucrative lifestyle, living on a 50-acre ranch in Hawaii. Um, Her publisher treated her like a rock star, flying her and her husband first class to sold-out workshops all over the globe. And she rubbed elbows with many, many celebrities. And this is the way that she described her life as a New Age person. New Agers often view Christianity as having dogmatic rules, but they have their own rigid standards about what an enlightened person must and mustn't do. During my 20 years as a New Age teacher, I promoted techniques like positive affirmations, believing and teaching that your words create your reality. By the way, don't we hear that in Christian circles, that your words create your reality? Don't we hear that? We held up our wealth and fame as evidence that our principles were true and effective, yet despite this worldly success, we were unrepentant sinners with lives marred by divorces and addictions having sold out workshops, standing ovations, adoring fans and celebrity fans, gave us swollen egos. I remember believing every thought was a message or a sign from God or his angels. And then something happened. In January 2015, she was driving along a Hawaiian road listening to Scottish-born pastor Alistair Begg. It was a sermon called Itching Ears from 2 Timothy chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul writes that in the end times, People will want their itching ears tickled by false teachers who offer false hope. She said, I could tell he was describing people just like me. God used Begg's sermon to convict me for the first time in my life. His words pierced my stony heart, and I felt ashamed for my false teachings. Then when I read Deuteronomy chapter 18, I encountered a list of sinful activities that included several that I had been practicing such as divination, interpreting signs and omens, and mediumship. I was broken, deeply shamed and humbled. I dropped to my knees in shame and sorrow and said, I'm so sorry, God. I kept wailing in repentance. I didn't know. I didn't know on that very day I gave my life to Christ as Lord. She said the decision had far-reaching consequences. Doreen and her husband left their fancy Hawaiian home New Age publisher ended their professional partnership with them, and New Agers treated her as an object of scorn. She said this, having to admit that I was wrong to entire world, my books were published in 38 languages, has been deeply humbling. Even so, I needed that humility to better learn how to lean upon God. After seeking but never finding peace in New Age, I finally found it in Christ. What needs to happen? Our hearts need to be changed. 
our hearts need to go through a transformation. And if God can reach the human heart with Doreen, he can reach us and he can reach other people's hearts. So what I want to do is just real briefly before we leave, what is the application? What, what, what would be the application? I'm standing there, okay, what's the application here? Let me offer you four applications. Number one is this. From this text, Jesus is the final authority. He is the final authority. What Jesus was doing was confronting the religious leaders, their understanding of Moses, their understanding of truth, their understanding about tradition. And he, as the teacher, was confronting them. And he was confronting them with his authority. The reason that I heal this person over here is so that you will know that I have the authority to forgive sins. So Jesus is the ultimate authority in our life, not traditions. And what we need to do is we need to hold on to the authority of God's word. Are you hanging on to the authority of God's word in your life? Or are you letting all of these other things creep in in your life? Second thing is this. The heart needs to change. The heart needs to change. There's a quote by Confucius that says this. To put the world in order, we must first put the nation in order. Put the nation in order, we must first put the family in order. To put the family in order, we must first cultivate our personal life. We must first set our hearts right. You change your life by changing your heart. Let me ask you, what's the passions of your life? What is driving you? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or do you have an entirely different passion in life? And is that elevated above every other thing in life? Colossians said, set your heart on the things above. Set your mind on the things above. If there is a battle going on inside the heart, maybe what we need to do is that we need to rearrange our priorities. Psalm 51 says this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let me ask you what's going on in the human heart. What's going on in your heart? Third thing that we learn is this, the gospel has the power to change lives. When you go back and look at this list, from murder to folly to sexual immorality, people fall prey to that. People hurt other people. We've hurt other people. And what Jesus offers is this, that no matter what is going on in your life, and no matter what you have done, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven of your sin. Why? Because the heart can be changed. Titus talks about the heart being renewed, being washed and renewed after the very character of God because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants to draw us to repentance, to change our lives, to put our faith and trust ultimately in Jesus. And the last thing I want to remind you is this. Are you guarding your heart? Are you guarding your heart? The reason I say this is, is, is this. If something is physically wrong with my heart, I have high blood pressure, or my, my heart's going, or it's going, boom. wouldn't you be alarmed? Wouldn't you be shocked? Wouldn't you want to do something about it? Well, shouldn't we guard our hearts on a, on a spiritual level? That's the book of Proverbs says. Guard your hearts with all diligence, for from it flow springs of life. Are, are we guarding our hearts? Parents, let me ask you something. What, what are you modeling to your children? What are you modeling to your children? You know, when we grew up, when Laura and I grew up, we wanted our children, and my kids are here, I think three of our kids are we wanted them to obey. And we sometimes tested how good we were doing as parents by whether they obeyed or not. Ooh, look at us. Look at our kids do. They clean their room. 
they do all this. Does that change the heart? No. What it does is it teaches them to follow rules, regulations, and traditions of men. Parents, are you shaping the heart of your children to love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? Are we loving Jesus? You know, what's, what's going on in our hearts? And I think that's what Jesus is confronting the people here. He's confronting the religious leaders. What's going on? And by the way, come back next week because you know who's going to be elevated? A Gentile woman. Ooh, are you kidding me? A Gentile and a woman? Jesus is going to make a direct application in the Gospel of Mark about what's going on in the human heart and who is ultimately accepted by God. And he's going to lift up a woman of faith. 